The title of the message is A Holy Invasion. If you have a Bible now, let's open it to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10. And because we're at a very uh, pivotal time in Jesus' ministry. Um, And we'll talk about that in in just a moment. Let's bow our heads and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for, from myself and Vicki, just thank you for the last couple of weekends and for rest, uh, restoration, uh, renewal, refreshment. Um, Thank you, Lord, for uh, this church and for these, my brothers and sisters. And I thank you for them, Lord. Bless them. In the name of the Lord Jesus, may they be filled with the Holy Spirit. May the joy of the Lord be their strength. May you hear their prayers and answer them, exceeding abundantly above all they could ask, hope, think, dream, or imagine. And may we hear what the Spirit would say to our hearts today, in Jesus' mighty and wonderful name. And everyone said, Amen. Okay, so number one in the outline, I kind of want to go back since it's been a couple of weeks. Uh, we went through, I guess, three weekends ago, the first five verses of Matthew 10. And as I mentioned, this is a very pivotal time in the Gospel of Matthew and a pivotal time in the ministry of Jesus. Up until now, Jesus has been doing everything. He has been doing all of the teaching. He has been doing all of the ministering. He's been doing all of the praying. He's been doing all of the, you know, and, and now he pivots. Now he turns and he sends out the disciples um, to multiply himself 12 times. That is the beginning of, of what would be carried on. And because Jesus sent out the 12, later he sends out the 70, uh, and it will go on from there in the book of Acts and, and the church and the explosion throughout the Roman world, and now for the last 2,000 years. But what I want to bring the connection to you and I is that those whom he sent out, it is a message for us today. We, we are the, uh, the, the latest train, the latest tribe to be sent out by the Lord into our community. And, and hear what he gave them uh, in chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. He gave his disciples authority and power for healing and for deliverance. And I want to make the connection. He has given that to us as well. So beginning in verse 1 of chapter 10, it says, And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon, who's called, his nickname is Peter, Andrew, his brother James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. We talked about how there were lots, maybe three sets of brothers Among the disciples, God's all about family. He wants to bring us all in as a family. Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector, James, who is the son of Alphaeus, Alabius, whose nickname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. So Jesus is beginning to specify the exact program and means of establishing the kingdom. And what I find interesting here is that the kingdom, when he, when he sent them out, and as he sends us out even today, is not only about the declaration verbally of what we believe. And most of us are familiar with the gospel, that God so loved the world 
He gave and sent his only begotten son, who was born miraculously of a virgin. God became a man. Great is the mystery of godliness, that God was manifest in the flesh. And then he began his ministry, uh, teaching and preaching and healing and raising the dead and casting out demons and authority over nature and rebuking storms and all the rest. Um, But we know that that's the story. We share the story and tell the story. But there are many stories going around, many spiritual paths, many leaders, gurus, whatever. What makes the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ different? What makes it special? What makes it unique? Because Jesus, this is what he said. It's not what his followers say about him. It is what Jesus Christ said about himself. He said, I am the way the truth, and the life. No man will go to the Father unless he comes through me. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. Uh, and so he, he is the unique way. So what, what really distinguishes is not only verbalizing and saying and sharing the gospel, it's not merely the declaration of the kingdom. It is also the demonstration of the power and the authority of the king. Every believer should not only have head knowledge of the gospel, we should have heart experience that God is real. The Holy Spirit is real. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells inside of us. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if he healed then, he still heals now. If he has authority over the demonic realm then, he still has a power and authority over the demonic realm now as well. Can I hear an amen on that? So this is important. He, he now sent them out to bring the message, but also with a demonstration of the power and the authority. The word used here for power in Matthew chapter 10 verse 1, I mentioned it a few weeks ago. It, and, and by the way, he has given it to us. It's not ours. It's his. It's delegated, but it comes out of relationship with him. It's his power, not our power. It's his authority, not ours. But we get to use it when we're in relation with him, and we get to exercise it here on the earth on his behalf. That word power means privilege, force, capacity, mastery, superhuman, uh, token of control, delegated influence. So as Jesus said to those disciples, you are my direct representatives of both my message and my authority. So he says to you and I, we are his modern representatives representing his message and his power as well. So they were to command sickness and pain to leave and to command healing to take its place in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Okay, so if uh, you are, have been here for the last year or so, you know that, that every beginning of the month we have communion. So we're getting ready to have communion to begin the month of May. And at the, after, right after communion, we are praying for people to be healed. And I, I just want you to know, because that, that was something some months ago, the Lord started speaking to me about praying for people and getting the body involved. And he says, look, if you'll pray with communion, I'll start healing people even more than I have in the past. I said, okay. And he's been doing that. So we did that again this last service. We'll do it again today. 
And uh, just after the last service, after communion, people standing and praying and whatever, and so a couple came up to give me a testimony. So this is a fresh testimony that I want to share with you. A um, couple that, you know, have been coming to the church and been praying and walking the streets and asking God to pour out His Spirit or whatever, and the, and the wife, she says, I, I had a tumor uh, the size of a golf ball in my neck. Like you could feel the half of the golf ball is coming out. So I went to the doctor, he had it diagnosed. And he said, well, good news, it's not uh, cancerous. Uh, but the bad news, we got to get in there, we got to take that thing out. It's not, you're not supposed to have that golf ball in your neck. So anyway, she was here for communion. She stood up. We're laying hands on people. We're praying. And that particular communion, I happened to mention tumors, and so she was like, oh, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm standing. And she goes, while, while the prayer was going on, she felt and heard a pop in her neck. She goes, that was weird. So she went to the doctor because she kind of was feeling, she goes, I'm not feeling it, but she went to the doctor. And the doctor said, what did you do? It's gone. And we haven't done surgery, so you got healed. So, and... The doctor was a Christian. He was a believer. He goes, man, I got to pray more. <laughs> you know, he got inspired. So that's what testimonies are about. Uh, it's, not, it's not just what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. It is even what he is doing today that I think ignites us. And we realize, man, this thing is real. And the Lord is moving. And we want to be part of that river. Amen? Amen. So let's go on then to pick up uh, verses 5 through 7. Uh, chapter 10, beginning in verse 5. Now, it says, These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, So here's the message for all disciples then and now, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And very simply what that means if you're trying to wrap your mind around, wow, what all is the kingdom of heaven? It's a whole empire. What is all that about? Very simply, it's this. The whole kingdom of heaven and all the beauty and the glory and the wonder and the majesty of the kingdom of heaven is wrapped up in the person of the king of the kingdom. Wherever the king of the kingdom is, the kingdom has come. So if you have the king in you, the kingdom has come to you. And as his disciples, when we walk into the neighborhoods of our community, the king is within us. His message, his power, his authority, and as we go sharing him, the kingdom comes near to our community as well. So here's what's interesting, though. Jesus sends them into their neighborhood. So you'll notice he says, now don't go to the Gentiles, don't go to the Samaritans. I want to add yet. We know that um, from the broader context of Scripture that this messianic message was never meant to exclusively be for the Jewish people. Uh, going all the way back to the original promise God gave to Abraham, the father of all faith, um, he said, I will bless those who bless you, I'll curse those who curse you, and through you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. This is borne out again even in the New Testament, the end of the very gospel we're in, of Matthew chapter 28, Jesus specifically said to his disciples, go make disciples of all nations, all right? Teaching them whatsoever I've commanded you and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the messianic message is for all the nations of the world. 
But there was a divine pattern that was here that God was following. They, the Jews, from Abraham until the coming of the Messiah, they had been the, the basic ones of salvation. You had a Caleb that would come in and a Canaanite here and there. Um, so now they were the ones given the prophecies. So he wants to begin there, but he never meant to stay there. He wanted to go on. But I want you to read with me Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Let's read uh, this verse out loud. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. There are no second-class citizens. Uh, we're, we're all, so who are the chosen of God? People say, well, the Jewish people are the chosen people of God. Well, yes, that is true. But as Christians, guess what? We are also the chosen people of God. All who come through the King, through the Messiah, were all chosen. Uh, but, you know, Israel's called the firstborn. So how many of you have more than one kid? Raise your hands. Okay. So there's one that comes first. Even if you have twins, there's the first twin before the second one. So in that sense, they're the first. So it was never meant to stay there, and it would spread and go to all the nations, but the idea was to begin there. I also believe, though, that there's a pattern here, uh, and from this came something that part of our, just so you know, our missions, uh, outreach, and strategy is called, we have a Nehemiah Fund. How many of you have heard of our Nehemiah Fund? So I just, you know, we felt that, that from the scriptures, you know, we need to reach out, we need to bring the gospel. It's kind of gone around the world. It started in Jerusalem, made its all the way, pretty much San Diego is about as far away from Jerusalem as you can get. And then it starts going to the east and coming back toward Jerusalem, which is kind of happening. Um, But God is bringing the gospel back. There is a burgeoning, uh, relatively new uh, body of the church that is arising within Israel of Jews, modern Jews, who are discovering Jesus was and is and continues to be their Savior and their Messiah, and they're sharing it uh, within the Israeli community. So we felt like, okay, we want to come alongside of that. We want to, you know, invest into that. God said, I'll bless those who bless you. How many of you want to be blessed? I want to be blessed, so we want to bless them. But even as we began to do that through our Nehemiah Fund, (laughs) I had a beautiful brother named Boutros, uh, in Nazareth, who came up to me and he said, so Pastor Ray, yes, I've heard of you and your church and you guys invest in the Jews and Israel and that's very nice, but I'm an Arab. He goes, I am an Arab, Christian, Palestinian, who has Israeli citizenship. I got, I'm, in, uh, uh, I'm a minority within a minority within a minority within a minority. He goes, if you read Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out, the church is born, and I listen, they were from here, and he goes, notice in the list of Acts chapter 2, we were here day one when the Spirit was poured out, Arabs. He goes, 2,000 years later, we are still here, in the city of Nazareth. So I was like, man, Boutros, I'm so sorry, we're going to come alongside you, befriend you, invest in you, and bless you. They've got a school of over 1,000 kids Christian private Baptist school in Nazareth. Maranatha Chapel is part of investing in that. Is that cool or what? So all of that to say we're invested in, you know, again, all nations, all people, and wanting to bring the gospel for such a time as this. Now, I want to make an application now for a moment in your next part of your outline. Time for the gospel. 
to move into our neighborhood, the marketplace, the city, the whole city, and then the nation. Jesus wanted to impact the world. He came to be the Savior, not only of Israel or the Jews, but of the whole world, of all nations. But he began where he was, and he began with his own neighborhoods and said, go share with them. He literally sent them into the neighborhoods to meet the people and to pray for the people who lived right there and to engage them with the love of Jesus Christ and and to walk among the neighborhoods and to bless the people and bless them in the name of the Lord. Tell them the message that the Messiah is here. He's conquered death. He's alive. He's risen. He he wants to bring ultimately that message to the whole world. Um, And so, you know, recently... uh, My wife was saying, you know what, it's time for us, you and me, we need to start walking around our neighborhood and praying for our neighbors. In fact, my daughter Annie uh, and Sean, you know, she has started to do this in a little area right around Forest Ranch to walk around and, and to pray for the neighborhoods. And it's very powerful. I mean, obviously we come to church to pray. Um... But it's very powerful also when we don't just wait to pray in church, but when we pray in the neighborhood. And as delegated sons and daughters with the presence, I mean, I I love this phrase. Every one of you who is saved is a mobile, meaning you can walk around, you can talk at your own free will and share the good news. You are mobile carriers of the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit, you're like a little mobile living stone of this new temple that makes up the house of God. It's got over two billion people from every nation, language, kindred, and tribe over the earth. And it's interesting, the Lord didn't say, wait for the nations to come to you. He said, you go to the nations. You go to the neighborhoods. So, you know, I've been praying, uh, you know, for revival. Now I'm having dreams about that I believe God is speaking to me about, that he wants to bring revival. Well, you know, how is that going to work? And what responsibility do we have? And I believe part of it, so I've taken the challenge, because walking, first of all, is good for you. It's exercise. Get you out of the house, away from the TV, uh, and you're, you're walking around, and you're seeing your neighbors. But to walk uh, and then to pray together... Some of the neighbors you know, some you don't know, might learn some new ones, see different kids of whatever ages. You walk by a school in your neighborhood, you pray for the principal, you pray for the administration, you pray for the teachers, you go walk by a park, you start praying for that park, you start praying for different, whatever you see, and you pray and you bring a blessing. That's what Jesus did. So here's, that's the challenge I'm taking for my little neighborhood. I want to challenge you. Would you please prayerfully consider walking around your neighborhood and praying from the throne of heaven that God will pour out his spirit upon your neighbors and your homes and their communities? How many, does that sound okay? Okay. So we're going to, you know, I want to remind you about that, but start thinking about that. Go for walks, go for prayer walks. But I also want you to write down this word, marketplace. Jesus not only sent them into the neighborhoods, and now I'm kind of stretching from right here in the gospel all the way to the book of Acts. 
when revival, after the resurrection, after the Pentecost, after the church is born, the revival, many, if not most of the revivals in the Bible, beginning with what happened in the book of Acts, took place in the marketplace, all right? Many of the heroes of faith that are talked about in Hebrews chapter 11 are, were called by God, both men and women, while they were in the marketplace, not when they were in a synagogue or at the temple, but while they were in the marketplace, God met them, called them to be a light and a witness of the king. For instance, one, the story of Gideon. Where is he? He's in a threshing floor. That's, kind of, that's where he worked. And God speaks to him and shows up to him and sends angels to him and says, hey, dude, I'm calling you. You have a higher purpose. And I think that God wants to really, you know, it's not like bringing everybody here to uh, church. It's, it's about us going to where they are, where they live and where they work and bringing our, our spheres of influence there. He is willing to bring his power, his presence, his spirit to bear in your immediate sphere of influence. And I want to say something that I think is, we all know, and it's kind of obvious, but sometimes it's good to state the obvious. The church. What is the church? Let's begin with what the church is not. The church is not a building. It is, look, I thank God for this building, that God's given us here, and the two-story building for the kids there, and the fellowship all over there, and the, you know, Maranatha Christian schools, and all the campus we have down there, with a thousand kids in it. That's all cool, but that ain't the church. The church is not a building. The church is people. The church is human beings that move around, that get up, that can walk about. They're mobile. So turn to a person that is breathing next to him, point to him and say, you're the church. Point to him. And I also want to say then this. Here, here's, you know, this is very simple, basic, 101, uh, simple, but I, I, I'm trying to press it into you. It's not, oh, Pastor Ray is the pastor and the minister, you know, at the church. Yes, I am. That, I'm called to be a pastor. I'm to bless you, encourage you, and inspire you in the scriptures and all of that. But you are ministers. Have you ever thought of, well, let's start with your own home as your congregation, And you, the parents, are the shepherds. You're the shepherd and the shepherdess of your home. And your home and your children are your congregation. You need to pray for them. You need to seek the Lord for them. But I want to now extend it even beyond your home to the marketplace. You, as a believer, are a minister in your marketplace, whatever that environment may be. You may even work out of the home, but still, you're you're a minister, and while you are there, you, so you have a congregation. It's not just Pastor Ray has a congregation that meets in a building. You have a congregation. It may be a company. It may be a building. You may work outdoors, whatever. But the people who are involved, if you have the Holy Spirit, you are a surrogate shepherd for them that should be thinking of them and praying for them and wanting to bless them and minister to them and reach out to them. So I believe that we're, you know, if we really want to see revival happen, it's going to take Christians who apply biblical principles in the marketplace. And I want to make even another suggestion to you. I believe that, you know, we believe in the gifts of the Spirit. God is moving and He's doing stuff among us. It's exciting here when we gather. 
on Sundays and communion. But I believe that God also wants us to use our spiritual gifts in our homes. God wants us to use our spiritual supernatural gifts in the marketplace. I want to share with you this scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 and 8. For those who are familiar with Corinthians, Paul was writing to the church about the gifts that God gives to the, uh, to the church variously. So let's read this out loud together. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So here, the Holy Spirit doesn't give one guy all the gifts. You, you get this one, maybe that one, and the other one, and then you get these gifts, and then you get some of those gifts, and he gives them, he spreads them out. Do you, have you ever thought, why? Why do you, you know, you have some gifts that I don't have, and I have some gifts that you don't have. Hey, doesn't it then make sense if we come together, the more we come together, you got them all. And that's what God wanted. He wants a family. And that way there's no competition. Why do I need to be jealous of you? Because I got stuff you don't got. And you got things I don't have. So I like you. You like me. I respect you. You respect me. And together, wahoo, we have fun. That's what God desires. But now think about this. God doesn't just want for the miraculous, the supernatural, or his presence to manifest here when we gather, which is great, two or three in my name, but out in the neighborhood, in the homes, and even within the marketplace. The stories of radical transformation in the Bible, I'm talking stories that transformed nations, happen with guys like Daniel in Babylon, Joseph down in Egypt with Pharaoh, Esther with the king of ancient Persia or Iran. They changed nations, not from buildings, not from, you know, churches or synagogues, but from thrones because of who they were and where God placed them. And they even affected change within uh, Babylon and Egypt and Iran when they were being ruled by evil kings. So God sends us in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we need to pray, God give us wisdom, give us revelation so that we might have a place to honor you in whatever environment or marketplace that we're in. So I want to share just one little story which occasionally I'm going to be dropping in a few more stories to kind of get you thinking and provoking you to what God may be able to do. So this is a real story, a true story of a lady. Um, She was an executive who worked for a Fortune 500 company. You know what that is? That's like big ones, mega uh, companies, you know, millions and millions of dollars. And she was an executive there, but she's a believer. So she's like, okay, I get it, I understand Uh, I'm not just a uh, Christian that goes to church. I am a minister. I am the church. Uh, And so I carry the presence of God with me. She started thinking of her company as a flock. And I'm one of the ministers to my flock. Who can I be praying for within the company or whatever? So one day she's praying. And as she's praying, the Lord speaks to her in a still small voice. And she'd been thinking and praying, and they had, her company had recently purchased another company, which is what big companies do. Uh, and the Lord speaks to her and says, that company that you just bought is not a good purchase. 
She just kind of, her eyes pop open. She goes, why? And the spirit says to her, because the guy that gave the paperwork to your company cooked the books and he made it look one way, but the reality is very different. If you will dig deeper, you will discover it. And so God gave her a word of knowledge in a business, in a big business setting. So she just prayed, Lord, you got to give me some courage. She went to her boss, who's the CFO, and she she wants to tell him what she has just learned from the Lord. Now, the CFO is not a Christian. He's not a believer. Um, So she put it in, uh, you know, business language. Um, I don't know how to say this, but you know the deal that we just did? I know we sent a team to research and everything, but... I have some inside information that they cook the books, and it's not what it appears, and it's a very, very bad deal. And the guy, the CFO, is like, wow, that sounds serious. Do you have a good source on this information? (laughs) She goes, oh, yes. She nodded her head. Very, very, very good source. He goes, well, how reliable is that source? Uh, She goes, very reliable. And he, it still bugged him. He goes, well, where did you get this information? And, and um, she goes, you know, I'd like to keep that confidential right now. <laughs> Finally, he wouldn't let it go. And he goes, you've got to tell me. This is a big deal. It's got a lot of money on the line. We've already sent a team. Where did you get this inside information? And she just, you know, finally bows her head. And she goes, well, actually, it was while I was praying, I heard God speak to me. He's like, what? You're bringing God into this? And so he's kind of aghast and taken aback, and then finally it kind of unnerved him a little bit. And he goes, well, I'm going to send the team back, and we're going to check. You know, he goes, you, this better be real. I don't, you know, I don't want this thing to go south. And so for a whole week, they had said this, and she's like just, you know, cringing. Oh, Lord, did I just have bad pizza, or what was, what was that all about in my thoughts and my prayers? Anyway, the team goes, they came from a different angle, they went and delved in a different level and layer, and they come back, and guess what? Boom! They found it was right, it was not legit, and they pulled, and they saved themselves millions of dollars. So all of a sudden, the CFO tells the other executive, get in here. She comes into the office, he closes the door, and he looks at her, and he goes, I got two questions for you. Number one, what else did God tell you? And number two, did he say anything about me? (laughs) He's not a believer. But guess what? From that one moment of word of knowledge that came from one believer, you know how what happens in offices and and everybody starts talking. There's a God who gives inside information that affects the marketplace. I'm in. And God began a movement and a revival. It all checked out. So God wants to work. And, and if revival comes, it's not just going to be getting, you know, three million people into a bunch of buildings. It's going to be the believers going into the community, into the neighborhood, and into the marketplace, and just being filled with the Spirit, being led of the Lord, divine revelation, and God doing great and mighty things which we cannot imagine. Amen? Hallelujah. Okay, let's go back. Uh, verses 8 through 10. Jesus tells us, so what are we to do? What's the biggest, most needful thing when you go into the community? Pray for the sick, Jesus said. Beginning in verse 8, it says here, Heal the sick, Jesus said. Cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. 
Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. Um, I love this because healing the sick, expelling demonic forces. Look, the people in the world, they, they don't know the Lord. They, they don't go to church. They're, they're already, number one, lost in darkness, getting beat up and buffeted by evil spirits and forces and addictions and all of the darkness that the world and the devil has to offer. So when someone who has the truth, who lives in the light, comes and has authority and exercises it, and either there is a physical healing or there is a spiritual transformation uh, that, that changes the atmosphere of a workplace, an environment, let alone a home, then the kingdom of heaven has come near. And the next thing you know, they're saying, so tell me more about this Jesus. And it's very, very beautiful, very precious, and very uh, powerful. Okay, so the last verses 11 through 15, where God guides, God provides. We're always worried about, what, you're asking me to go out and now I got to minister out in the world. How how am I going to be able to do that or afford that or whatever? Look, where God guides, God provides. Verse 11, now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. If it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. Very simply, let me just say that I think that what Jesus meant was, look, don't force, any, don't force messages on people that they don't want to hear. Don't force, no, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to prove to you, I'm going to, you know, whatever. No, some people are not, it's not the right time, they're not ready. Fine, go to the next house. And the next house may be, I'll take whatever you got, man, we're, we're dying, we're sinking. Whatever, pray, whatever, do it. And then they experience something. And the neighbor who said, no way, watches and goes, ah, that wasn't so bad. Maybe you can come talk to me now. So that's what we're supposed to do. Not be aggressive, not forceful. When there's an opening, when people are ready, take it. Verse 14, and whoever will not receive you and not hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it'll be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Now, that was an extremely unusual time. Uh, because you, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, they had their day of judgment. Uh, but Jesus is like, if they had seen the miracles that are happening here, I mean, the Messiah is on earth. He's literally walking on the earth. The king of the kingdom is here. It was definitely a very special time. And if people saw uh, healings and supernatural and demons cast out and authority uh, over, you know, nature and people raised from the dead, which they did with Jesus, and they, they had the hard, they hardened their heart to say, I don't want none of that. What else is God going to do? So um, he, he, he was basically speaking to a very specific time there. But they were to trust that God would provide their needs uh, from the very people who ministered to them. Man, there's nothing like when you are in the receiving end of a healing or a deliverance or whatever. It's like, what can I do now for you? I want to bless you. And I want to be able to be an encouragement to your life. Amen? Amen.